Yes, Jesus. Let's pray together if we would. Father, thank you so much that you sent Jesus. And as we've talked about in this series, <coughs> we want to hold him before us, that we would be enthralled by him. And just singing about that just draws our hearts to you, makes us want to jump up and down. Just thank you for the love that you had for us, that you would send Jesus Christ to deliver the good news that we could be brought into relationship with you, that we could be cleansed, have our sins washed away. Lord, I know there are people in the room that they're just checking you out, just wondering, wondering if there's a place for them in your family. I pray today is that we sit at your table and we listen, that you would speak to each one of us, God, that you would show us, you would show us the love you have for us, that when Jesus died, he died for each one of us individually. God loves us. Help us to realize that today, to embrace that. I pray now that you would give us courage to listen as Paul speaks hard words to his church. That we as a church, pastors, leaders, tender servants, all of us, that we'd hear these sobering words about how our lives matter. How our lives matter and how people view you. Just pray that you speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So God's richest blessings on you. You can go and have a seat. That'd be wonderful. I'm just so happy that you're here today. And uh, part of this series that we're in is we're in 2 Timothy. So I encourage you, first of all, to grab your message notes because you're going to need these. And so pull these out so you can take some notes today. And uh, all the Bible verses that we will use will be here for your convenience. But I also want to invite you to open your Bible. Uh, that we're in 2 Timothy and uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and today we'll be jumping in with verse 14. Uh, last week we ended in verse 13, today we'll be in verse 14 and following as we talk about developing stronger character. Uh, now, I want to begin today with a question, and the question is this, just to kind of help us to think about where Paul is leading us. How many of you have ever questioned or doubted or even rejected your faith because of the actions of someone that you knew had proclaimed to be a follower of Jesus. Ever doubted, ever rejected because of the actions you saw of someone who claimed to be a follower of Jesus. Have you ever been disappointed by what looked like to be a lack of character by this person that you knew went to church spoke the words, and yet something came out of them that wasn't consistent with what you knew Jesus was calling them to be. Well, I'm sure we all have, right? It's a human condition we all have at some point. And I was just thinking in my life about people who I have uh, watched who have gone off rail, gone out of the guardrails, and they've gone offline totally. And it uh, doesn't do any good to name names because you already have pictures and names in your head of people who've done the same thing. So that some way that the life they were living didn't line up 
with what they were professing or teaching or even indicating to be true because of their involvement in God's church. So what I want to ask today, and I want to work on together as we work through these verses from Paul, is how do we develop a deep character, a deep character that stands up under the pressures and temptations of living in a broken world so that we are credible, long-run examples of the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to be. Credible, long-run examples of the power of the good news of Jesus. Now, this is really important for us as individuals because the, you know, the quality of our life is determined by the choices that we make. But it's even more important for us as a church because we don't want to do damage to the good news, the story, the testimony, because we, in some way, have failed to live out the truth of the message of the gospel of Jesus. Now, I'm not going to say we have to be perfect, okay, because we're all going to fail. We're all going to stumble. What we're talking about is a character issue here, a stumbling that comes because your character was not in alignment with where God wanted you to be or what you profess to be by your life. Now, there are some, and I'll tell you this, there are some within the church as well as outside the church right now that are you know, pointing their finger and saying that the church is to blame for what appears to be and what they are claiming to be a moral collapse that we're experiencing in our nation. That it's the church that's to blame. And what they're saying is, they're saying, church, you spend most of your time wagging your finger at those people, those who don't go to church, those who are outside the church, when the problem for you is in your own camp. So the problems you have with your own dirty laundry. So maybe it's time. Maybe that's true. And maybe it's time for us to clean up our own camp, to clean up our own house. So we're going to begin that process today uh, as we walk through these verses. And then next week, Paul is going to take off the kid gloves, and it's going to be hardcore as he goes after the church about our condition and our character. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, the character that we can have that's important to God. And not just for how it impacts our testimony, which is important, our influence, our witness, and our impact in the world, but also for how it directly impacts our relationship with him. So we have the character that we can have a relationship with him. Now, just kind of give us some background again. If we remember, 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul. He's in his 60s right now, uh, and he's in prison, his second prison uh, that he's been in. And this one is in the dark, dank cave. Uh, and uh, that he's writing to Timothy, and we know that this was his last letter. So these are his last final words. And so you got to know that he's giving it all that he has. He wants Timothy to really understand this as he's writing to him. Timothy is the pastor of the church in Ephesus, and he realizes that Timothy needs encouragement. And so you can imagine Timothy, when he gets this letter, and he realizes that, that Paul has written it, he knows that Paul is going to be executed at the hands of the Romans because of his involvement in sharing the good news of Christ in that region. And he understands that, that his fingers might literally be shaking as he's reading these words, these dear words, and he reads it over and over again, these words from Paul. 
what he's doing is he's writing to pass on to Timothy, his young protege, as we've talked about, what is most important. And he's writing to inspire Timothy. So our theme verse is right at the top of your notes. And it says this, be strong. We talked about this last week and understanding that it was a passive thing, that God was going to strengthen us through the grace that God gives us in Christ Jesus. So he's going to strengthen us. So we have to rely on him. We've talked in this series about the fact that Timothy is facing three major obstacles or three major things that are causing him to have great angst. Well, first was external ridicule. This is from outside those who are part of the church, external ridicule from those who say, there cannot be a God who came to earth to die. Gods don't die. Jesus has to be. This is all a sham. And so ridicule from outside the church, not only that, but ridicule and then persecution from the Roman ruler Nero. And they were also, he was also feeling internal opposition. That's some of what we're going to look at today. Uh, there were power struggles in the church. Now that Paul's in prison and not able to vocalize and verbalize the faith, that there were those who were wanting to have power themselves, and they were stepping up and saying that Paul was wrong in these areas. And we're going to look at a specific area today where they were accusing Paul of actually being wrong. And then Timothy also had personal insecurity. Paul said to him that we would not have a power of timidity or fear, but instead that we would have this spirit of love and strength and a sound mind. So that's what he knew that Timothy needed to hear. He, so Timothy is constantly aware of all these things are going on, and he needed an, an encouragement that Paul was going to give him through this letter. And I would just say that as you think about the three things that Timothy was going through, that many of us face similar pressures today. And as important as it was for Timothy, I just want to say to you today, I believe it's just as important for you and me that we listen to these words of Paul in the life in which we live so that we can run the race. And we're going to get to the verses in just a few weeks where he says that he has completed the race and he's going to finish and he's going to realize the prize. So I'm going to circle back now, okay? I have to come back a little bit to something we talked about last week. But let's look at verse uh, 14 uh, and he says this. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me. So he's saying that we should hold on to that. A pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is chapter 1, verse 14. We covered this a few weeks ago. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Carefully guard, circle that, carefully guard the precious truth. Underline that, the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. So what Paul's saying in this verse where I want to start our time together today is he's saying, hold on to what you've been told is true. Don't let culture, don't let circumstances, don't let your internal fears or insecurity in any way cause you to, to doubt the reliability of what I've been taught. Don't let what you see doesn't cause you to doubt the truth of what I've taught you. So stand strong and you guard the message. You guard the message of the good news. Now, we're talking about truth and we're talking about the good news. In my studies this week, I went to a term, orthodoxy. And so I put a definition of orthodoxy there for you. But this definition actually comes from a book that I ran across this week by Joshua Harris. It's called Humble Orthodoxy. And he explains this orthodoxy is our truth. He explains this orthodoxy is a commitment to the teaching and application of the established, proven, and cherish truths of the gospel. So that's what he's saying to Timothy that he should hang on to. 
And we're going to see that new teaching is coming in. New, what they were claiming, enlightenment is coming in and being taught. And Paul keeps going back and saying, no, you need to hang on to orthodoxy. And I would say that that's where we need to be as well, folks, is that we need to go back and hook back into history, into orthodoxy, because it is our stability as we face a world in tumult. It's history. So we have to do that. So in our time when revisionists are rewriting history, in our time when liberals are discounting the reliability of the Bible, in our time when postmoderns are rejecting absolute truth and saying that truth is only what I experience, in our time, we must build our lives on the solid foundation of biblical truth. It has to be where we build our lives. And we're going to talk more about this in two weeks. And there's a truth that cannot be avoided. See, according to the Bible, there's a true and a false path. According to the Bible, there's a mark you can hit or a mark that you can miss. According to the Bible, there's a truth that can nourish you and cause you to flourish, or there's a truth that can kill you and cause you to lose life. And one of the most essential truths of the Bible has been, we've talked about it so much in this series, but we're going to come back to it again today, is the gospel message of Jesus, or the good news of Jesus. And so just simply, the good news is this. There's a God you and I have sent. This God came to earth as Jesus Christ, and he died for you on a cross. And then to show that he is God, he was raised from the dead, and he ascended back into heaven. And you must respond. That's the gospel. You must respond. When you do, the Bible says if you respond in affirmative, that you will live with him today and for the rest of your life and into eternity, into eternity in the kingdom of heaven. And the Bible also says if you don't, well, it's just not going to go so well. If you don't, this is serious. This is serious gospel. See, that is the gospel truth that we've been called to cling to, to go back to, to stand on. And today, Paul talks about how to develop the kind of strong character that will be able to bear up under the pressure of being God's people in a world that's pushing against the gospel truth. So that even though we're under pressure, that we would be people that are known by love, we would be people that are grown by grace, and we'd be people that are held by truth. Truth, as we saw a few weeks ago, um, and we'll look at it in two weeks. I mean, this is our solid foundation. So let's just jump in, just begin with verse 14 in chapter 2. And the first thing Paul says is that if we're going to have strong character, we need to defend the truth faithfully. Defend the truth faithfully. Now, this is assuming right away, assuming, make an assumption that you are pursuing the truth faithfully, Okay. So you're pursuing it so you know it. And when you know it, he's calling you to defend it faithfully. Verse 14 says this. Remind everyone about these things. So that's what I'm doing today. And command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Talking about the internal conflict that's going on. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. You just might circle that verse. Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. And so you want to ask yourself as you read that verse, whose approval am I living for? Whose approval am I living for? It says God's. 
Now, he says this, be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. Let's just pause there. Correctly explains the word of truth. So what he's saying there in that phrase, he's saying, be someone who can speak the truth in a way that is in alignment with what you've heard from me, but is also in alignment with what I've heard from God, which is the gospel truth of the good news. So he literally uses a phrase that means to cut straight, to cut straight. So, you know, lots of people are thinking about, well, what does Paul mean there? So he's meaning a straight path, is what he's talking about. But in looking at this, you have to realize that Paul was a, he's a tent maker. And so as a tent maker, he would take fabrics and he would have a pattern and he would cut that fabric according to the pattern. And so if he cut it straight, when he started to sew it together, it would fit. And if he didn't cut it straight, when he sewed it together, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't fit. It wouldn't work as a whole. So it was a pattern. He's saying, Follow the pattern and cut it straight. So let's go on. He says next. So then, avoid worthless, foolish talk that only leads to godless behavior. This is the kind of talk that spreads cancer, or some translations, I put it there in parentheses, gangrene, as in the case of Hymenaeus and Philetus. Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the path of truth. So right here, we have a word of warning. And the word of warning that Paul is giving to Timothy, and he's actually giving to the church, those in the church, is this. Supplemental truth is not truth at all. Supplemental truth is not truth at all. See, people, people do this, though. We give into this because sometimes supplemental truth or what I would call man-inspired truth it just seems like it would be right. It seems like this would be the way to go. In fact, entire religions are formed that way. As Heather was singing up here today, and Rick's back in the back this morning. They are in Salt Lake City, and they are uh, in the hub of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So they're in the hub of what would be we call Mormons. Well, Mormons were founded out of a supplemental teaching separate from the Bible, man-inspired, separate from the Bible. And not only the Mormons, but many heresies that you can read church history and Christian history and doctrines happened because someone got enamored, someone got an idea and came up with an extra biblical teaching. And I just say today, folks, just listen to me carefully because we live in a world of information glut is that beware of anyone who wants to add to the truth of the Bible. Beware of anyone who wants to add to the truth of the Bible. That's why if you ever hear me get up and I say something like this, you know what, guys? I just want to teach you something today that nobody's ever seen before in the Bible. Somebody just stand up, okay, and say, that's BS, Ron. Because <laughs> I'm leading you down the wrong path. Leading you down the wrong path. Now, listen to what it says next in verses and as he goes on, he says, they have left the path of truth. See, they have left the path of truth, claiming that the resurrection of the dead has already occurred. In this way, they have turned some people away from the faith. So first he's saying, accurately communicate what you know to be the truth and make sure that you adhere to the truth. Make sure that you don't swerve from teaching what you know to be the truth. And so what he was doing is he was saying, now I want you to correct those who are teaching a different gospel. Now, the gospel they were teaching, we don't know what all they were teaching, how they were coming against the things of Paul as they were trying to you know, weasel in with you know, little phrases or little indictments against Paul. But this one was that the resurrection had already happened. That when Jesus went to heaven, that was when the resurrection happened. 
and that there would be no bodily resurrection for anyone who, after that, gave their life to Christ, and it would all be spirit resurrection. Now, what some folks think, nobody really understands what, was, what this was about, okay? But what some folks think is that this was the beginning of Gnosticism, and Gnosticism was coming into play where there was a distinction, a clear distinction that the body was evil, and the body could not be redeemed, and, but yet the spirit could be redeemed. And so some folks believe that that's the source of this idea that, the resur- that no one else would be resurrected after that. Uh, but what it did was it tended to confuse people. And that's what extra-biblical teaching does. It confuses people. It makes them ask, well, do I, is my faith okay? I thought I believed this. Oh my gosh, I'm wrong. And, you know, most honest people would say, well, I guess I need to pursue this and see if it's right or not. Instead of saying up front, this is extra-biblical. This is man-inspired. And so I'm not going to pursue it at all, but I'm going to adhere and I'm going to stick to the good old story of Jesus Christ and what he's done for me. Now, I did some research on this and was looking at that word gangrene. um, And uh, I thought to bring pictures, but I didn't think you'd want that, you know. (laughs) Some of you are going to go have lunch afterwards and breakfast and those things. It's a blood disease that spreads, and it'll eventually infect the entire body. That's why at the first sign of gangrene, uh, they would cut that part of the tissue out or that part of the body off so that they could preserve the life. And he's saying that this man-made teaching, uh, that this man-inspired teaching, this extra outside-of-the-Bible teaching that that's like a disease that will eat away at the body of Christ. So today what I'm doing is I'm trying to protect the body of Christ today. That's what we're doing here. So Paul calls Timothy to defend the truth because the truth, that's what is going to keep the body from being destroyed by the gangrene of false teaching. So, you know, every generation, folks, comes to this place where we get to decide what is truth. Are we going to believe the old, old story or are we going to get enamored by our ability? I mean, my word. Now, look at what we've done. We created the iPhone. We are awesome people. We surely can come up with a better way to save the world, right? So every generation comes to the place where they get to decide, am I going to live by the truth? Am I going to defend the truth? Or am I going to give in? Am I going to look for a way that tickles the ears? Tickles the ears. Paul talk, Peter talks about that. Uh, in his book as well, tickles the ears and causes us to have fancy. So what we have to do is we have to just make sure we are going to major on the majors. We are not going to let the minors distract us or cause disunity in our church, okay? Not going to let them cause disunity in our church. And so Paul is warning Timothy. He's saying this, there will be people who are coming along. There will be people who are part of the church who want to make their thing the main thing. And Timothy, I want you to guard and defend the truth. I want you to be the one who keeps the church on track, help the church stay focused on bringing God the glory so that there's unity in the church. And you know what? That's not just Timothy's job. That's all of our responsibility, all of us, to to do that. Now, look what he says in verse 19, going on to talk about truth. I love this part. It just fits so well with last week. But God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with its inscription. Now, remember last week we talked about this. We said that Paul said that even though I am in chains, the word of God is never 
chained, right? Even though I'm in chains, the word of God has never changed. And so what it's saying here is saying no matter what it may look like in the world, where everything looks like it's crazy and chaotic, the truth of God is the foundation that will stand firm, and you can build your life on this truth. Adhere to this truth. And he says that the Lord knows those who are his. I'm serious. Paul's going to get to some deep stuff next week. The Lord knows those who are his, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. Must turn away from evil. We cannot go forward holding on to what God says and holding on to what our culture says is right at the same time. You can't do it. You can't do it. It shows a heart that's divided. A heart that's divided. So what we do is first we defend the truth faithfully, and the second thing he calls us to is to, is to live the truth purposefully. Live the truth purposefully. Now, now we're getting to character, okay? Now we're getting to the character part. And he goes on to talk about character because people can know the truth, and this is you know, the people that you had in your mind earlier that fell in some way. They knew the truth. They can even expound on the truth and teach the truth. They can even point out where others are missing the truth and not live the truth themselves. And not live the truth themselves. This is why many people get disillusioned why many people live Christianity behind, why you know many people are home on Sunday morning who used to come to church with you because they got disillusioned in some way by someone at the church or by someone that they saw in celebrityhood, the celebrityhood of church that fell in some way and they were disappointed. Maybe they left because they were part of a church where truth was proclaimed, but truth was not lived. Now, when I tell my story in one-on-one class, I talk about at nine years old, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And as a teenager, the church I was in, as I looked at as a teenager, I saw huge discrepancies. And folks, I got to know, if you've got teenagers, they notice this. Huge discrepancies between what the church taught, and then from what people I knew in the church, how they lived. And that caused me to have a crisis of faith that led me on a downward spiral, spiral for eight, nine years before I ever was able to find stability again and come back to the truth of God's word. See, there's nothing that will disillusion a person faster or leave a person more hard-hearted than seeing people say one thing and live differently. So we have to realize this, the message has to be safely delivered, accurately delivered, and we have to allow it to cleanse our lives. So let's begin, verse 20. I'm going to make some comments as we go through this as well. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions. I want you to stop a minute. I want you to underline. This is why I really need your notes out right now. I want you to underline expensive utensils. I want you to underline special occasions. So expensive utensils are used for special occasions. So you got that. And then next, cheap ones. So underline cheap ones. Cheap ones are used for everyday use. And then he goes on to say, if you keep yourselves pure, you will be, underline this, highlight this, circle this, a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. 
I just want to kind of explain this a little bit as best as I can, okay? Because I've wrestled with this, and how do I explain this in a way we can understand it? So I was just thinking about this. I have guests come to my house, and that when they come to my house, I make sure that my house is clean. And so this is, we always like to invite people over our house because that's one way the Thompson house gets clean. <laughs> and there are certain things that I'm going to make sure that my guests can see, and there are certain things that I'm not going to let my guests see. So I'm just going to make sure that certain things are out of sight, okay? I'm not going to, when they walk in the door, I'm not going to say, hey, you know what, let's go out and clean my kitty litter box out. Come on, let's go out here and do this together. I'm not going to say, hey, you want to go down to my teenager's room and look inside? (laughs) Certain things are going to stay out of sight, right? Just out of sight. And so the difference that we're talking about here is that there are utensils, let's get back to the word, utensils that are used for special occasions, and those are used for everyday use. There are some items I want to show you, I'm going to bring out my special china, or my, I'm going to make my special dish. I'm going to do something in a way that when I do this thing, I want to show you that you are a guest of honor in my home to show that you are special. So I'm just going to try to explain this as best as I can right now. This is, you know, go with me, okay? That's all I can say. Okay, so when you come to my house, and I want to show that you are special, is that I'm going to bring out my best Silver, it says silver or gold are my expensive items. And I just really thank my sweet wife who polished this last night uh, because this would have been hidden if it hadn't been for last night. And so I'll bring out my special pitcher and I'll use this to pour you a drink because I want you to know that you are special and we're using the special pitcher today, okay? So that's one thing that Paul is talking about here. There are special utensils used for special ways. Then he says there's ordinary things. And when you look at that word ordinary, you look at cheap things, it's hard. The NLT didn't do a very good job here, and so I really got crammed into a corner by using NLT today. Didn't do a very good job when it said cheap things. Uh, It means dishonorable things. Uh, It means common things, things like a trash can. So when you come to my house, I'm not going to put a trash can in the center of the table and ask you to kind of look around it so we can have our meal. Or I'm not going to use something that has... Well, let's just use this for an example, okay? I'm not going to pull out a bedpan, (laughs) even though it may be clean, and I'm pouring your drink. Can you imagine this? If you came to my house, I was pouring your drink out of a bedpan. Ah, I I don't think I'm going to do that, right? And and what Paul is saying here is he's saying there are certain things that that will not be used at God's table to show people they're special because they are profane. Because they are profane. And here's the deal about this. I just don't understand this fully, but I'm going to say it. All of these are part of the house. All of these are part of the church. And what he's saying here is that there are some in the church that are profane. I wish I could say it another way. He's going to even go deeper next week. There's some in the church that are profane. And he wants everyone in the church, instead of being profane, to allow the power and the blood and the grace that he gives through Jesus Christ to cleanse you. Not that you did this on your own. To cleanse you so that you can be a special vessel. 
used for special occasions to serve the master. That's what Paul's getting at here. That's what he's wanting us to see. And he's calling you and me to that place where we would be in a place now where what we do is allowing us to move forward to being cleansed by him. And he goes on and he says this. Notice what he says next. He says, okay, so here's what you would do. Run from, and he uses a word that actually be, could be translated, be a fugitive from. So run from anything that stimulates youthful, youthful lust. Instead, pursue passionately with a reckless abandon, righteous living. That's what he means by pursue. It's a passionate pursuit with reckless abandon, righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure heart. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, if you're going to pursue the truth, if you're going to pursue integrity, if you're going to pursue integrity, the way you test that is to test your life. And your life is shaped by what you pursue. What he's saying here, run away from youthful lust. Now, I know that when my son was a teenager, we memorized this verse together as we're dealing with, you know, uh, purity issues. As I'm calling to be a man of purity, we memorize this verse together. And a lot of people take this to be in context that this is talking about sexual purity. But it's much more than that. It does include sexual purity. But it's also talking about all youthful lusts. Lust for power, position passion and possession that you only have when you're, you know, early teens or late teens, early 20s into early 30s. You only have this kind of passion then. He says, run away from that. And see, when you're in, but some of us, we stay stuck there. And so this is why for many of us, this is what we need to hear today. He says, when you embrace the truth of the good news, it will result in you running. This is what's cool. I run away from by running toward Jesus. Run away from by running toward Jesus. So what you're running from and what you're running for and who you're running with, Paul says, will shape your life. So run from sin, run for Jesus, run with others. We talked about this a lot. You had spiritual friendships. Run away from sin, run for Jesus, run with others. Pursue righteousness and faithfulness and love and peace along with all those who call out with pure hearts. Tim Keller says this. I love this quote. I found this this week. Uh, he did a talk, it's called, the gospel is not the ABCs, the gospel is A to Z. So that means it includes everything. And this is what he says. The gospel is the way that anything is renewed and transformed by Christ, whether a heart, a relationship, a church, or a community. Remember who said, the gospel. All our problems come from a lack of orientation to the gospel. Put positively, the gospel transforms our hearts, our thinking, and our approach to absolutely everything is our understanding of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Okay, last idea. I'm, if I'm going to be a person of integrity, I have to express the truth gently. Express the truth gently. See, without gentleness of heart, we're going to come across as Pharisees, and the truth will be a weapon in our hands to attack other people. This is why I just dislike so much all the, all the what I call profanity, profane talk that goes on on the internet. Because on the internet, you can talk to someone who has no face, and you can say anything you want. 
and you can slice and dice. And so I just want you to know, folks, that, that he's calling us. And what Paul was saying to Timothy is, is that you have to find a better way. And you have to do it with gentleness, gentleness of character. So the way we relate to others, particularly those who disagree with us, is a vital component in our effectiveness as Christians. Okay, here we go. I'm going to read these verses, and then we're going to kind of wrap this up, land this plane. Verse 23. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Circle that word, everyone. How many of you have someone in your life that you wish was not included here? <laughs> As everyone, right? We all do. And he says, it goes on, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people, and then gently instruct, underline that, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps, now notice this, there's no guarantee. Perhaps, this is where you have to trust God, that God is good, God is in control, and you have to let go of the outcomes, and you have to do what you know you've been called to do, and you're not in control and charge of how someone responds. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. So what he's saying here is, is that as we're going to stand up for truth against those who stand against truth is that we must do it with gentleness. We must do it with love. We must do it with grace. We must do it with kindness. And when we do that, as crazy as this seems, if we can get off the attack and counterattack mindset, as crazy as this seems, he's saying that's the way that God's going to speak. That's the way God's going to speak, through the good news of Jesus. He call, he's calling us to be people of character who serve others with great grace, to be compassionate leaders, to be compassionate followers of Jesus. So here's the deal. In order to give grace, I have to have received grace. But when I've received grace, he's called me to give grace. And I give the grace that I've received. And so I just want to leave this uh, last idea with you. Um, that here's just talking about this sharing it gently is here is when we think about this when our goal is to win the argument instead of the person we always lose both when our goal is to win the argument instead of the person when the argument becomes first and foremost and we lose sight of the person we will lose both and i'll just say to you today just to hear me our god does not want to lose anyone does not want to lose anyone he wants us to have stronger character so that the message of the good news has stronger attraction. And bow your heads and let's pray together. Well, Father, I guess that there's several areas that we'd want to kind of do business with you about right now. First one is this, if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus and you heard the gospel today and what he calls for you and maybe you've been disillusioned by uh, a religious experience in the past or you've been hurt in some way by the church or by people who say they love Jesus, but today you've seen that there's a God who loves you and that he, um, he loves you and you want to say yes to Jesus today, just say, Jesus, and this is all in your mind right now, Jesus, I know you love me. I know I matter to God because you came to die on the cross for me. You were resurrected to be back with the Father. You've promised me life with you forever.
Jesus, help me to live loving you, knowing you, following you. And Jesus, I heard today that it was important that I do it with others. So help me to find a church, a group that I can be part of, that I can run this race with them. And there's some of us today that we're sitting there thinking, am I the bedpan? Holy Spirit, I ask for even burden. I ask for your divine intervention. Am I being cleansed by the Father? God, I just pray that you would show us. Pray that you would speak to us. I pray that you would do business with us. Because there may be some in the room who have professed to be followers of Jesus, who have come to church, but truly have never surrendered to Jesus. And so you just say, Jesus, I surrender to you. I surrender to the gospel. I surrender to your way. Jesus, I'm going to run for you. I want to be enthralled with you. And as I run this race toward you, toward righteousness, toward faithfulness, toward love, and toward peace, as I run this race, Jesus, make me be like that. God, I pray for us as a church that you would help us in our expression of the truth. That one, we would be biblical. Two, that we would not get consumed by extra biblical teaching. And three, Jesus, that we would be formed into your image. That grace would be so real to us that we would want everyone to experience your grace and love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.